duck go shopping, does it pay cash or check? Neither. They put it on the bill. <laughs> so much energy. Put in your booby rocks. Live your best life. Keep doing you. episode for you. Last night I went to drum circle and it was my first time with my big girl drum which I was very excited about. It was there was probably about 15 people there. Well I would say the guy that runs the drum circle he was teaching us beats and then we would drum to the beat and then we had to put a whole I don't know it was like a song together I guess and it was funny because you know how when you see somebody doing something, but you are doing something that might not look exactly the same? <laughs> no, it went good. I also explained to the lady next to me that I had a $150 meditation drum that I bang every day. Make sure I get my money's worth. That would be very embarrassing to bring. She thought that was very funny. It was a great time, and I'm super excited about that. So I finally got to there. Uh, I still want to get to an Asheville drum circle. I think there's about, I don't know, from the pictures, it looks like there's thousands of people there. I guess it would probably be hundreds. Uh, it's a lot of people, and it goes from 5 p.m. on Friday nights till, I don't know, from the postings I've seen, it looks like it goes to about late, 9, 10, maybe? So there's an ice cream shop down there I'd like to get to, and so ice cream and drumming? Funny thing I shared at work this week. I don't know if they shared in my enthusiasm for this post. I just replaced a can of air freshener in the office bathroom with an air horn. And now we wait. Which cracked me up. Oh my god. Just the thought of an air horn going off. And then one of the girls at work posted that it would be funny. Because you know somebody's trying to be all discreet and give it like a little spritz. And then all of a sudden it's like. <laughs> oh my god crack me up good good times the other day i was going to i think i had to go to PetSmart for a hot second and as i'm turning left there's traffic that there in the lanes here there's a merge lane but there's no stop or yield you just kind of come off of it and then you just keep going well, there was a small car, there was other traffic coming, the car wasn't moving, and there was a huge truck behind it, and it blew its horn, and it had one of those horns, I'm pretty sure it was a train horn, and it beeped, and my window was down, I was probably, I was only two lanes over from it, but I was at the exact same location, he beeped, 
And I'm pretty sure that my soul left my body because you don't ever have where you, your whole body jerks, but you don't even have time to react. <laughs> so I'd like to give my soul a welcome back for coming back. Yeah. Woo. I had to get back in there quick because I had to turn left when it turned green. Shoot. Almost didn't get my leg to work right. So that's what we had going on this week. Uh, we had a few people reach out because they wanted to experience the Jeff and Iran episode. And they weren't sure if they wanted to be a member yet. So with our So Much Genergy membership, you get access to the Jeff and Iran podcast episodes. Uh, right now, I think they're on episode eight. We're going to release episode eight today. Uh, the membership is a small investment of $35. And what that gets you is um, some fun stuff during the year. You'll get a free ticket to our live events that we have. And then we, which we're still working on. And then we will get, um, there's bonus material in there and other fun things. So we would love to have you part of the membership. And so since people have asked, we wanted to release an episode of So Much Genergy Presents Jeff and Iran, which is kind of like Jeff and Around, if you get it. Burp, burp, burp. <laughs> so this week we're going to release episode four, and this is with Jeff Jones and Ronnie Jones talking about the Loch Ness Monster, Crystal Balls, which stay tuned for that because... At one point, I had to back it up 42 times to listen to Ronnie say something again. And the movie Psycho. So there's some cool tidbits in there about the movie. So Jeff Jones put this podcast together. It's called History, Mystery, and Movies. And so each week, oh, nope, each month, they release a new episode that has, so the history of something, the mystery of something, and then a movie, which they both talk about. Oh, gosh. Sometimes both of them laughing. I mean, it's too much. So stay tuned for this episode of So Much Jeff and Iran. Thanks for being here. I hope you have an awesome week, and we'll be back again next week. Oh, we're going to have a fun interview with my friend Vicky from Canada, and we're going to talk about Reiki, R-E-I-K-I, Reiki. Not for your garden, like with a tool, okay? Not shovely or being a hoe. Reiki. We've only scratched the surface of it. I mean, there's so much out there to learn. People are learning new stuff all the time about it. So much Jeff and Iran. Uh, it combines both our names. Dad, can I call you Ron? Yeah. All right, welcome back for episode four of So Much Jeff and Iran. I'm Jeff Jones here with my co-host, Ron, boss of the Toss Jones. Hello, I'm glad to be here again for you. Today, we'll be discussing things, histories, mysteries, and movies, having light discussion that... Did you get a chance to listen to the last episode? Yeah. What did you think of the last episode? I thought it was pretty enlightening, so hope you guys thought the same thing as I do. Yep, last episode, we did Lava Lamp, Psychics, Wizard of Oz. I like the history of last episode, the Lava Lamp. I thought that was intriguing, a little bit about the egg timer and the whatnot. Yeah, and also, we did brackets, and uh, Cole won our sticker package from last last month. That's right. Steven Seagal for your fantasy sidekick. Yeah, and I picked him over Jason Stratham. Uh, 
You guys might have a different opinion, but that was my opinion. You still feeling guilty about that? And it was hard. You still feel guilty about that? Yeah, it was a hard choice because I like both of them. Nice. They're my they're my favorite action action people. All right. And then with today's episode, Dad, Histories, Mysteries, Movies. Today we will be discussing the history of the crystal ball. Crystal ball. Crystal ball. Crystal ball. Uh, after last episode, we both mentioned that we didn't go much into the crystal ball. I know when we talked about psychics, we talked a little bit about the crystal ball, but we both wish we would have said more about it. So we decided to do crystal ball for this episode's history. Dad, what's this episode's mystery? Uh, no, Loch Ness Monster. Also following that will be the movie part, which we're going to be covering. Psycho. Mm. Psycho, 1960, Alfred Hitchcock. Psycho. Wee, 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 wee. So we will also be having a, another fantasy bracket, Dad. You, you said you, you assembled the fantasy bracket for this episode? Yeah, I got a uh, food and drink. Jeff's doing this one. I'm going to let him take this one then because I did last one. I'll probably do next month. Mm. All right. So a food and drink list. See which narrow it down to my favorite food and my favorite drink. Is that what it is? Yeah. All right, Dad. Moving on to the history part of this episode, Dad. Today, we're going to be covering the crystal ball. Crystal ball. Crystal ball. Crystal balls are spheres of leaded glass or transparent stone, usually about the size of a grapefruit, and they're used for scrying or seeing the unseen. Do you know what scrying is, Dad? That's a big part of crystal balls, scrying. It's like the word crying with an S. I never heard about it. Why don't you tell me about it? Now, you can do scrying into a mirror or a still water or people scry in blood or oil. And what you do is you just need to see a reflection back is all you're looking for and you need to you gotta it's relaxing your eyes and your mind and allowing them to take in whatever visions appear right before you in whatever is reflecting back at you does that make sense yeah now that's the art of scrying and a lot of that is what crystal balls are about the whole point of a crystal ball is to stare into it and relax your eyes and your mind and either see a vision or see another time and place or something that has happened or something that's going to happen. Now, a lot of people use crystal balls, dad, to uncover mysteries and secrets. They appear into the future, communicate with spirits, angels, in some cases communicate with the dead. Now, there is no evidence that crystal balls have any scientific validity to them, but is nevertheless been popular for millennials and millenniums. Now, dad, first off, I'd like to start out by the definition of a crystal ball. Okay. Do you know what, do you know, are you familiar with crystal balls? What do you know about crystal balls, dad? Yeah. Just from the movie, the wizard of Oz. Mm. <laughs> That's the extent of your crystal ball knowledge. Yeah. So, um, but I guess after this, I'm going to know a little bit more yep. and, and I hope you do too. All right, Dad, let me start out by saying the definition of a crystal ball is not all crystal balls are made of crystal, but all of them are spherical and they can be made almost any size from very small palm crystals to larger crystal balls, which can be kept in stands. Now, crystal balls can be made of a number of materials, including leaded or unleaded glass, quartz, barrel, calcite, obsidian, and amethyst. And a properly made crystal ball is a perfect, highly polished sphere. And it's usually placed in a stand to make gazing into it easier. And if it's made of glass or crystal, the sphere should be free of air bubbles Although colored glass is acceptable if they can come up with a way to color the glass or tint it. And if it's made of stone rather than glass, it's recommended that the stone be free of faults and very, very highly polished. Now, all those have to come into play for it to be considered a crystal ball. I'd like to jump in. What you got? How does one in uh, Wizard of Oz, how does the, uh, the fog get inside the ball? 
Well, what they say with the fog is when you're gazing into the crystal ball and you're you're at that pinnacle where your eyes are relaxed and your mind is relaxed, is they say that the center of it fills with a mist. And then in that mist, the user will see a vision of something, whether that's another place or another time or the future or the past, I don't know. But that vision will come through and they say that the center of it, it has to be so clear and free of faults that you have to be able to, it, a mist will appear in, in the center of it. So that's what they say. I hate hate to keep bringing it up, but the Wizard of Oz, when the witch went to touch the, the ball itself, she got a, a an electric charge off of it. Did, did you know about that? Yeah, I don't know. I think that just was to keep her from taking it. Oh, oh that was just a part of the movie? Yeah, I believe so. I believe that's just... Yeah, but uh, other people that's kind of touched it while they was reading it, uh, they really don't touch it. They just wave their hands over it. And then that's when the mist appears. Right. Now, going back, since this is the history of the crystal ball, I'm going back, give a little bit of the history of what I can find. Crystal balls have been used for fortune telling and clairvoyances since at least the first century, Dad. The first century. That's a long time ago. And their popularity has waxed and waned, but they continue to be popular tools for psychics, fortune tellers, and mediums today. Now, one of the first known references to crystal balls comes from the work of the Roman Pliny the Elder, who described the use of crystal balls by soothsayers. And at the time, crystal balls were referred to as crystallum orbis, and then later just orbuculum, which just translates into orbs, then it becomes crystal ball eventually. And crystal ball gazing became increasingly popular in Rome over the next several hundred years. While widely accepted by the Romans, the practice was condemned by the Catholic Church as it specifically was forbidden in the Bible. Now in the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy 1814, for example, says, for these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. So because of those references, Catholic Church, condemn the use of crystal balls and gazing a sign of paganism and so uh when people found the crystal balls uh, they kind of went there and then what they do just go back uh worldwide and, and had their own crystal ball yeah and then that kind of i mean it stayed underground and was only used like underground because it was shunned in the in the church's eyes then around the third to fifth century the Druids of the British Isles were also using crystal balls. And when they came over to the Great Britain and arrived there, they brought with them the, the act of crystal ball and gazing. And so the Druids, along with other pagan groups, were all but wiped out when the Romans annexed Great Britain and the practice of using crystal balls for divination disappeared again for a period of time. Fast forward to about the years between somewhere between 500 and 1500, crystal balls were more of a decorative accessory than fortune-telling device in Europe and some however continued to practice crystallomancy art of using the crystal ball and it suggested in some sources that the Arthurian sorcerer Merlin carried and used a crystal ball though no one's sure if Merlin was a historical figure or a actual figure uh, it was during the Renaissance and the reign of Queen Elizabeth I however that crystal balls regained their importance and the legitimacy in fortune-telling tool and that was because Queen Elizabeth I on her council had Dr. John D, and he was an advisor to the queen who became interested in using obsidian crystal balls for scrying. And he was an alchemist and a natural philosopher, but he believed himself to be communicating with angels and demons through the sphere. And Queen Elizabeth I bought into this, and he'd share his readings with the queen. 
who began to make the practice more and more popular because she was she would talk about it then somewhere around the middle ages and the renaissance so we're talking 1600s the gypsies brought with them the act of fortune telling again and the traveling gypsies and so the gypsies it became more of a again it stayed underground but it stayed with them and they brought it back to being used uh, pretty much up into modern times the victorian era and all that right up into the 19th century uh again they it got used by musicians showmen it's not an illusion it's just more of a art of it's another another tool to use in the art of psychics and just the the display of it that's about the history of the crystal ball now there are a few famous crystal balls throughout time dad uh like you'd mentioned the one from the wizard of oz the smithsonian institution owns the largest flawless quartz crystal in the world the measures 12.9 inches across and it's 106 pounds that's pretty big yeah but big as it is it still does the same thing as the small ones right here's one you like dad the enormous crystal ball used by the wicked witch of the west in the movie the wizard of oz sold at auction for hundred and twenty nine thousand dollars in 2001 and that ball was made of hand-blown glass and was not perfectly round and it just was hand-blown it wasn't solid mm. you know what i mean yeah so that's why they were able to fill it with smoke. It was like a giant fishbowl, pretty much. And then one of the founders, here's another another weird fact I had found too, Dad, is that one of the founders of the Mormon church, Joseph Smith, he carried a seer stone that he claimed to use in the process of translating and writing the Book of Mormon. Uh, he had a, a seer stone that he would use that he said God gave him all the visions that he produced the Book of Mormon. So, all right, Dad, anything else you want to add or ask about crystal well, ball the history uh, just that uh different people see different things so you just got to use your own discretion oh no when when people are reading the crystal ball because that uh, all crystal balls ain't the same so different people see different things all right you, you got anything else nope that's about all i got dad i i hope you enjoyed it so. all right moving on we're gonna do do you want to do your fantasy bracket? Yeah, let's do that. All right, let's do your fantasy bracket. I like that. Bracket. That's pretty fun. All right, so this week's bracket, Ron had put together a list of food. You said food and drinks? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I thought we'd try something different be, besides movies. So I think food and drink is pretty good. All right, I was up for that. You said food and drink. Do you want to start us off? You just want to give them to me, and I'll tell you which one I would pick? Yeah. Is that how we're doing it? Yeah. All right, let's do this. All right. I'm ready. You ready? I'm ready. All right, apples versus oranges. Oh, apples. I like apples a lot. I do like orange juice, but I like eating apples. All right, Coke or Pepsi? Oh, Pepsi, 100%. I know you're a huge fan of Coke, but I am a fan of Pepsi. I do think Coke is more carbonated, and Pepsi goes flat quicker, but if you can drink Pepsi before it goes flat, I think it tastes better. Uh, when you pick something. Like go into detail. Just don't say Coke, Pepsi. Coke. I'm not. You I'm going in. Yeah, you, you got to say why you pick. I know, but I'm trying not to drag it out too long. Well, it's all right. All right. All right. Uh, another one is uh, food, mashed potatoes, or hash browns. Oh, mashed potatoes, hundred percent. I love mashed potatoes. I like instant mashed potatoes, real mashed potatoes. I like mashed potatoes with the skins on them. All right. Another food is ice cream shake or ice cream cone. Oh, ice cream shake. I like ice cream shakes a lot. I think you could be hard to ruin a shake, I think. You know what I did? I made the mistake of getting a malt once as a kid. That was horrible. What's the difference in a malt and a shake? Some kind of, they put the malt powder in it, like the, like the malt balls. You know what I'm talking? It has that malt 
I'm not even sure what malt is, but I know I got it once as a kid and it was not good. It yeah, like, it's kind of like really thick and it's got like a bitter taste to it. I feel like, like they made a shake using Yoohoo. Remember Yoohoo chocolate drink? Yeah. Yeah, it's like almost the difference between chocolate and baking chocolate. Uh, it's really bitter. All right. Okay, another food, pears or peaches? Pears. I like pears a lot. They're oh. just good. Okay. French fries or tater tots? Mm. French fries. Only because there's so many different kinds of French fries, tater tots. You just get tater tots or tater rounds. Yeah. All right. Coffee or tea? Oh, mm. coffee, 100%. Like, I see you laughing. <laughs> I do like tea a lot, though, but I prefer coffee. Uh, salt or pepper? Mm. Ooh, salt or pepper. I'm going to say pepper because I think salt, although salt can be used on a lot more things, I think there's more natural salt in some food that you can get by, but naturally there's not pepper in things. Okay, drink, 7-Up or Sprite? 7-Up. I like 7-Up a lot. Okay. I prefer squirt, but 7-Up's good. All right, another food, chicken or beef? Chicken or beef? That's pretty vague. Uh, I'm going to oh. Like fried chicken or, yeah, or hamburger? I'm going to go chicken. No chicken. Or beef can be steak or pork chops. I know. I love steak and I love pork chops. I love pot roast. I love, but I'm going to have to say chicken. All right. Hamburgers or hot dogs? Oh, uh, hamburger. 100%. Okay. Uh, pancakes or waffles? Ooh. Waffles. Waffles are great. I just like waffles. So when you get up in the morning, you'd rather have a waffle than over a pancake. Yeah, a waffle is harder to make than a pancake. So I got to get out the waffle maker and everything. Uh, not just that. They got waffle houses, not pancake houses. Well, they got the International House of Pancake. I hop. Yeah, but I think you got more waffle houses than you yeah, do I, that. I prefer to go to a waffle house than an I. Also, Jeff Dunham was doing an opening at a waffle house. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> Remember? He said we... Either another food, pie, or cake. Mm. Ooh, pie. You're being pretty vague there. You didn't even get specific on pies. I just like pie. Yep. Coconut cream. Mm. Yep. Coconut cream, pumpkin, apple. I like cherry myself. That's invalid of no. Oranges or grapes? Grapes. I like grapes a lot. Okay. I'm glad you went into detail on that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Moving on. Food. Pizza or spaghetti? Oh, pizza, 100%. Who don't like pizza? Although a good spaghetti meal would be good. Right. And in a pinch. Mm. What's funny is it's easier to make spaghetti at home than it is to make pizza. So at night at 8 o'clock, you'd rather have pizza over spaghetti? 8 o'clock, yeah. Uh, Another one, coffee, is uh, regular or decaf? Oh, regular, regular. Occasionally, I'll do some half-calf, but 99% of what I drink really. Yeah, decaf, why waste your time? I know. you, You might as well want... That's like Diet Coke or a Coke. I mean, you know, if you want a Coke, you want a Coke. Right. If it's the point of the evening where I can't drink coffee because it's too late or whatever, I'll just drink tea anyways. All right. Another drink, Red Bull or 5-Hour Energy? I'm not a big fan of any of those. I have. I've tried both of them. I'd have to say Red Bull. You think the 5-Hour Energy, like if you take it at 2 and it's supposed to last uh, 7, you think it really works? I'm not sure. I mean, I never tried one myself, but... I can't see just drinking it, and all of a sudden, 10 minutes after 2, you get energy. Right. And then how they know it even lasts 5 hours. I don't know. It might only last 1 or 2 hours. I'm not sure on the science behind it. All right, here we go. You you mentioned this before. You got pot roast or pork chops. Ooh, pot roast. I don't know. Hold on. I'm going to say pork chops. Change it. Well, if you want to mash potatoes with one of them, what would you pick? Oh, pot 
That's the difference. This is a toss-up between Jason Stratham and Steven Seagal. He's having a hard time. I know. Let's say say pork chops. I'm going pork chops. Okay. You sure about that? Yep. Going with that. Going, going, gone. Pork chops. (laughs) All right. Here we go. Last last one. It's a snack. It's chips or pretzels. Oh, pretzels. 100%. Huge fan of pretzels. Yeah, but they do make more kinds of chips than they do pretzels. Uh, You think you'd change your mind on that? I don't know. I do like barbecue chips. I like baked chips. I like crunchy chips. But I almost like any kind of pretzel. Yeah, you got pretzel rods. You got pretzel, uh, the thin pretzels, regular pretzels. And then you got your salted pretzel like at a show. Right. And if I was at a party, I would be hanging out by the pretzel bowl. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, We're going to go back and do some process of elimination. I'm going to go back to the beginning. And he's going to pick out the ones that he did pick. And then when we get to the end, we're going to do a process of elimination. Then we're going to try to get it down to one. Let's see what we got. All right. You got apples or Pepsi? Oh, Pepsi. I'd have to take Pepsi over apples. Okay. Now that's food over drink. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now you got mashed potatoes over a food and over a drink is ice cream shake. Mashed potatoes. Okay. Carrying on. We got... We got pears over French fries. That's uh, a that's a drink and a food. That's not a drink. Oh, both food. Yo, both food. <laughs> I'm gonna my, say my bad. I'm gonna say French fries. I would take French fries. All right, all right. We got this is. <laughs> we got coffee. <laughs> what do you got? We got coffee. <laughs> All right, welcome back. <laughs> Coffee over pepper. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to say coffee in that situation. If uh, I mean there ain't no, there ain't no, nothing even. Uh, <laughs> there ain't even nothing in the in the ballpark on that. <laughs> Coffee versus pepper. <laughs> Well, I guess that's the trouble when you ain't got enlisted like you're supposed to. You both have food and drink, but we mix them up <laughs> for, for, for more excitement. All right. So we got coffee over pepper. Yes. Oh, me. All right. All right. Here we go. We got a drink this time and a food. All right. Seven up or chicken. Oh, chicken for <laughs> sure. Chicken. Who would take fried chicken over some seven up? Well, that's the way it fell, so yeah. it's your it's your bracket, mm. <laughs> and it's your choice. It ain't nobody else's. Mm. All right, we got hamburger over waffles. Oh, now, oh, man. Take I, your time. I know. I love breakfast food. I love breakfast foods. I'm going to go hamburger. I have to go hamburger because a good bacon cheeseburger is better than a waffle. Okay. All right, here we go. We got pie over grapes oh pie for sure <laughs> pie. <laughs> i don't know how these become irrelevant but that's the way they're falling yep <laughs> all right <laughs> uh, all right we got pizza over regular regular coffee yep mm. i'm gonna have to save now pizza. remember how remember how much coffee you drink you you yeah. drink more coffee and you and you do eat pizza i know because you got coffee every day but coffee did beat out pepper 
so coffee is on the other side. So I'm going to take pizza on, on this one. Okay. I'm not sure how you got coffee on there twice. All right, here we go. This is this is stupid, too. We got Red Bull over pork chops. Oh, pork chops. 100%. Who don't like good pork chops? And like I said, I haven't had Red Bull in like five years. Yeah, I don't even know why we had that. Mm-hmm. It was your bracket. You put it on there. All right. We got a snack versus a drink. All right. We got pretzels over shakes. It can be chocolate, strawberry, vanilla. I'm going to say pretzels. I'm going to say I would choose a pretzel over a shake. Okay, um, we covered all the brackets. Now we're gonna break them down even more. All right, let's do this. Okay. Lightning round. All right, here we go. Pepsi or mashed potatoes? Oh, man. Oh, man. It's your bracket. I know, mashed potatoes. I gotta say mashed potatoes. It's gonna, mashed potatoes are gonna be hard to beat. That's my Jason Stratham of the, of the food, to be mashed potatoes. Okay, we're going down even more. Let's do this. French fries or coffee? Coffee. Oh, yeah. It's not much in the drink realm that's going to beat out coffee. All right. Here we go. We got chicken or hamburger. Oh, man. Didn't we have a chicken or beef earlier? Yeah, chicken or beef, but... I'm going to say chicken. I'm taking chicken on this. But beef can be anything. Pot roast. It can be steak. Right. You're pretty vague there on the beef. Beef can be anything besides hamburger. I'm going to say chicken on that one. I gotta go chicken. I gotta stick with the poultry people. All right, we got pie or pizza. Pizza. Although I do like some pie, I, I most times I would have to go with a pizza, especially a good pizza. All right, we've already finished them. Now we're gonna go back to the beginning process of elimination. Let's see what we got: mashed potatoes or coffee. Coffee. Oh, hang on, hang on. I don't like doing that to mashed potatoes, but I can't mix coffee out. If coffee is to lose, it it needs to be to mashed potatoes. But well, put it uh, put it this way: What do you drink more a, a day or a week? I or, drink coffee every day. I don't. Yeah, eat I know, but you, potatoes you never day. turn down mashed potatoes either. No, I want to turn them down. I'm like if you went to a restaurant, you'd eat you'd have a coffee yeah. with with yeah. your dinner. So and odds are you'd have mashed potatoes and chicken strips. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say coffee. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't know. It's your bracket. I know. Mm. Mashed potatoes. Ma- now, hang on. Coffee. Just put coffee down as the winner. We got to move on from that. I can't sit here and decide. Nope, because you ain't sure yet. Coffee. I'm 100% sure it's coffee. It's got to be. I drink coffee every day a number of times throughout the whole day. Mashed oh. potatoes, I only get those once, twice a week, maybe. All right. That's your choice, right? Yeah, coffee. It's got to be. I can't believe mashed potatoes got ousted like that. Well, that's way with me with Steven Seagal and Jason. I I didn't know which one. I know. All right, here we go. Chicken or pizza? Chicken. Chicken? Fried chicken, for sure. Okay. All right. We This is uh, the lightning round. Everything else is done. All right. We got coffee over chicken. Coffee versus chicken in the final? Coffee, chicken. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's just like your coffee over mashed potatoes. You dig coffee, you're going to stick with it? Honestly, those three are my favorite foods. Coffee, mashed potatoes, and fried chicken. Well, is coffee going to beat out all three, or are you going to switch like I did? I feel inside like coffee has to win this because I love coffee. Yeah, but you like chicken. More than any other food or drink, but, man, I do love fried chicken. So it all boils down to food or drink. All right. I'm going to say fried chicken. 
Hundred percent over coffee. Over coffee, I have to. I have to. Both are unhealthy as crap, but I think fried chicken has been my favorite food for 42 years, besides mashed potatoes. Coffee, I've only enjoyed it since I was probably 13 until now, so maybe 30 years of coffee. But chicken, mashed potatoes, been with her, been there since the beginning. Okay, out of 19 things, he picked he picked chicken over everything. That's his favorite food or drink, chicken. All right, Dad. That wraps up the bracket. That, that wraps up the bracket. Yep. Stay tuned for next episode. We'll come up with another bracket before then. Hopefully, one I'll put together to come at Ron with. All right, Dad. Moving on to the mystery aspect of this episode, we decided to cover the Loch Ness Monster. You wanted to take the reins on this one, a big hitter. Loch Ness Monster, I think a lot of people are familiar with. A lot of people at least have seen the black and white photo of the surgeon's photograph of the Loch Ness Monster, the classic photo. Yep. Talking about the the lock the lock itself, the the body of water. Do you do you know do you have the dimensions by any chance of the body of water the lock sits in Loch Ness? Yep, I sure do. First of all, the Loch Ness monster is uh, people over hundreds of years is already uh, trying to prove if there is one or not. And, but back to what you were saying, the, the lock itself is 22 miles long, a mile wide, and 754 feet deep. And that's in Scotland. Yep, it's the, also the it's the biggest lake in the British Isles. I believe I'd read at some point, or I'd heard somewhere too, that it formed from the melting of a glacier that washed ashore. Yep, about six, I think it was 65 million years ago. Yeah, there was a glacier washed ashore, and when it melted, it had formed this lock. Right. That's what formed the, the body of water. And I believe the lock, Loch Ness, it, there's a small river system that connects it to another lock about 20 miles south of there. I think it's Loch Moore is the name of it. That's another lock that's similar. It's, it's similar to size to Loch Ness, but it's connected by a small streams of water. This is the largest lake in the British Isles, so there's got to be more lakes besides this one. All right, Dad. And do you just before we even get into all that, do you believe in the Loch Ness? Do you think it's real? Like the fact that this, you know, 20, 30, 40 foot sea creature could live in an inland body of water? Uh, scientists has done a lot of different testing on the, the lake and uh, they, can I say something? Yeah, you can say whatever you want. So far, they ain't come up with any proof that there really is one. Uh, the best one I know is that they had bolts. They lined them up side by side and all of them had sonars so they can read down through the down through the water all the way to the bottom of the lake and each of them they were all chained together and then all of them had radios and nope and they didn't find anything and this is a a mile wide 22 miles long and they none of them found nothing 800 feet deep and they've done that i believe a handful of times throughout the years right yeah it's now, like fish finders or sonar it's about the same thing now the thing is with me in the with loch ness monster it's a lot like the mothman or even with Bigfoot, I think a lot of the evidence comes in the sightings and the witness accounts as opposed to the scientific validity that is behind explaining it. Does that make sense? I think yep. it's a lot like the Mothman, where like it's a lot of the witnesses' accounts, people that have seen the Loch Ness Monster, people that, I've seen accounts where people claimed it ran across the road in front of their car. And that's what got me looking at, like, if it ran across the road in front of witnesses' cars in this huge dinosaur-sized creature where what where is it heading what it's heading more inland and that's what got me to looking into 
where would it have been heading Lock Moor? It's the closest body of water that it could have been going to. And and people thought that seen it, they said it's at least 30 foot long. So, I mean, if you're going to have 30 something, 30 foot long running in front of you, you're bound to see it. Right. And but again, it's it's been a hundred of accounts of witnessing the Loch Ness Monster. And it goes all the way back to, I believe the earliest one I had seen was in like the year 565 or 568 yeah, AD. Um, it was first documented. That's 1400 years ago. Yeah, and a missionary thought he'd seen it. Uh, that started uh, the history of it right there. Well, he had came down to the to the shore one night, I believe, and there was three gentlemen trying to wrap up a body in a tarp, and it was only half a man. The gentleman had asked what had happened to him, and they said he had been attacked by a sea monster. That is what, in 565, I believe, was the first documented report of a sea monster devouring half of a person, and that's kind of what started it. And that was 1400 years ago. And obviously since then, all the way through the years, there's been different accounts. And yeah, and when he first seen it, he thought it, lo- it looked kind of gray, like it had an elephant skin and uh, thought he had seen six humps out of, sticking out of the water. I believe the closest thing they had found in the bodies of in the body of water of Loch Ness were eels, that there are a number of eels, nothing in that size by any means. But that's about the closest to explain physically what lives in the water that it could have been are eels in the photograph that we had seen the surgeon's photo and any photographs that have surfaced since then it does not look like an eel uh they say it has like a gray scaly skin and that it's it's more equivalent to a plasiosaurus dinosaur because it has fins that explains the size like you said the the texture of it has been described as like that of an elephant skin elephant hide the only way i know if there is such thing as a loch ness monster is so when uh uh, the glacier receded, they kind of boxed in the animals or, you know, that was there so they couldn't get out. So because back when the glaciers were receding, that was back when the dinosaurs were around. Now, I'd looked up a little bit of when when did the sightings pick up? And they say that the sightings of the Loch Ness Monster picked up around the years 1930. And they said that was because they finally had put in a, put in a road that ran parallel to the Loch Ness and it offered like an unobstructed view now of the lock. Prior to that, people couldn't get very close unless you were on foot. But sometime around 1930, and that's when the, the sightings had picked up and people had reported it more often than any other time in history. Now, since then, I believe that the Loch Ness area has attracted a number of like monster hunters and people investigating it over the years. And kind of like you had said, with today's science and modern technology, and ways of doing things that they do have a way that they could pretty much x-ray the entire lock and they haven't come up with anything. Hey, what do you think about getting a submersible and going under the water and spending hours down there? Because a submersible can stay underwater a long time and cover the whole lake. And then, and if he don't find nothing, I mean, then ain't that the proof that you need? Not because it ain't like Bigfoot, because Bigfoot's got the whole the whole world that he can cover. But the Loch Ness is only in one little area. Well, see, that's the thing is, I think over the years, like they have used sonar. They have gone across it with 80 different boats and they've gone and underwater. There's one gentleman I know, he's done it 15 times. He has gone through that entire lock in a submersible boat. And he just did it, I think two years ago for the last time. He's up there in his age. I think he's in his high 80s now. And he said it takes him takes him a month and a half to do the entire lock underwater doing it every day 
and it's his last time doing it. It's his 15th time doing it. And he's also the same gentleman has a number of patents on different sonar that he has patented over the years because of investigating Loch Ness every day. He lives near there, obviously, but he has a ridiculous like 65 patents on sonar technology that he has invented just because he keeps investigating Loch Ness. Uh, uh, do you think it's so, uh, and the deeper you go, the darker it is, so he can hide down there? Um, does he got to come up for air or can he just stay in the water like a shark? I don't know. You, I, I mean, it, is he a mammal or is he a, a fish or what is he? I'm not sure. It seems like because of a lot of the sightings he has, he's been on land or above water. Yeah, because a lot of people say it looks like a well. And then Wells has got to come up to get air. But there's no way it could be hiding in the depths. I know it's 800 feet deep and a mile and a half mile wide, but there's no way it could be hiding in those depths. Although it is 22 miles. That thing is so huge. You think it just would be seen almost on a regular basis. Yeah, but, that but if it's if he's down there, sonar would uh, would show it up because even if it's dark down there, sonar it bounces it bounces off uh, beams off the bottom. Well, the only thing I could figure, and, I, and again, is I take this as like, where where could it have gone? And again, the closest body of water is another lock about 15, 20 miles from there. It would have to, you'd be seen traveling between there if it was to move. It can't fit through the, the small system of streams and rivers. You're talking this thing's 30 feet. Now, do you think it's possible that kind of like the Bigfoot theory, like, is it, do you think it's dimensional? Do you think there's a dimension somewhere under Loch Ness where, because there's no way it can go down or escape out you mean, of there. You mean like some hidden chambers? No, like a portal where it somehow, I don't. You mean like a Bermuda Triangle? Right. Something like that. Where there's you mean another, it's going gonna, it's gonna to show up and, and then time travel and come back again? I don't know about time travel, but definitely travel to another dimension or another area. How else can it explain leaving the Loch Ness without it being seen? Yeah, but different. Land? Different people have seen different things. What's he do? Time travel and come back and then go know, out I'm again? I'm not saying he time travels and comes back. I just don't. I'm trying to come up with the reason of what, 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 where could he go that he can't be seen? Yeah, I know a 35 foot uh, creature is is gonna is, is yeah. gonna show up somewhere. Right. Like right now, is it going through the woods? Right now, as we're talking, is it just traveling through the woods? Because you're talking something long as a house. Yeah, exactly. It's the same tractor trailer. Somebody's going to see this thing. So it's got to be in the water. And if they can't find it in the water, where's it go? Is right. it real? Does it exist? Are yeah. these people making stuff up? Do you think people accidentally, mistakenly seen a 30-foot creature run across the road or come up out of the water? when they're staring at the lock. What about the surgeon's general? I mean, they're, they're sorry, not the surgeon's general. What about the surgeon's photograph, the gentleman who had taken the, the classic Loch Ness Monster photograph? In 423 of 60, we had a guy named- uh, 1960? Yep, 1960, we had a guy named Weatherall and his buddy, his name, he wasn't a surgeon, but his name is surgeon. They come up with a prank because everybody was so involved with the Loch Ness Monster back then that they come up if you can believe this or not take it with a grain of salt but they put a plastic submarine in there and with a stick and a piece of clay wrapped around the stick and they did it as a prank and they showed it uh they give it to the newspaper and they printed it and they said this is a proof the Loch Ness monster exists but all, all the testing the scientists has done that they uh and it was black and white took by a 16 millimeter camera so uh, they made it look like a, it was a real 
not dinosaur, but a real amphibious, like something in there. You couldn't see the flippers on it, but you can see half the body and the head sticking up. And it was enough proof that people thought there really was a Loch Ness monster. So, and you, they've came out saying that's what they did to, to make the photograph? Yeah, but they did it. They put it out in the water and they pushed it into the water for like long as it would stand up. Because if it had clay and, and a plastic bolt, it's going to flip over. But they must have put some sand in it or something to make it float. Huh. A little bit on the bottom, not much. But then they hurt and pushed it out there and took a picture of it. And I guess it was sunk. Do you think they came out and admitted to doing this after being ridiculed for being the ones who took the no, photograph? No, it, it stayed a secret for 50 years. And then finally, they were... I guess they were dead by then, but anyway, somebody come across the article. I, I don't know if it's said in the article or not, but that's, uh, they said how they did it as a prank. And now uh -huh. people don't know if they believe that or is there really a Loch Ness monster. Right. And up until now, it still remains a mystery. Seems to me like they was, somebody would have came out and said that, trying to uh, debunk it. Trying to debunk it or even trying to I don't know, clear their name or just, I don't know, make them seem like they're not so crazy because they probably got ridiculed, caught a lot of flack over the years of being the ones who, the only people who got the photograph of the Loch Ness Monster, causing up all the stir and craze. Do you think they just tried to save face by saying, no, they just, they staged the photograph? Well, they've had people that said they've seen it, but how many other people said they've seen it, but they don't want to be ridiculed? So I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more uh, out there than what we know of. Because I feel like it's it's almost like alien uh, encounters. Yeah, UFOs. Like you, mm -hmm. you mention it to some people, and then all of a sudden, like you're dubbed kind of crazy or the crazy one, and then you're like, all right, well, so maybe it this, you know, and you start reasoning with yourself that maybe it didn't happen, but it probably did. Just like Bigfoot and a chupacabra, uh, and this until somebody has actually got proof that they can actually examine what's there it's still like i said still remains a mystery yep still a mystery and that's our mystery for this for this month blackness monster yep it's a still a mystery you, real quick do you think it's real just do you think it's real well do you think there's a creature that could exist the blackness monster i don't think so because of so many people that's done different uh you know they've been in the water so many times and nobody's ever found nothing. You would think by now, in that, and I know it ain't small, but in that, you know, in that lake, and it's all confined into one area, they would have found something by now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like to think it exists, and it's just, it's out there somewhere. We just haven't proven it yet. There you go. Loch Ness Monster. Stick around. Psycho. <laughs> For the movie part of this episode, we're going to cover Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 American psychological horror thriller, Psycho. Uh, Psycho was my best hit Hitchcock movie over. Now, Birds was the second. What about Vertigo? I didn't see that. You didn't see Vertigo? Nope. Only one I've seen is the, the back back window. Oh, rear window? Yeah, rear That's window. really good. Rear window is excellent. Yeah, and I've seen... Uh, North by Northwest? Nope, I didn't see that, and all I seen is Psycho and the Birds. I like the Birds. That was really good. Growing up, you and I used to watch a lot of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Yeah, I, I like that, and also Twilight Zone. And 
I don't know if you've heard about the outer limits. I like that too. Yep. All right. Psycho is directed by Alfred Hitchcock with a screenplay by Joseph Stefano. And it's based on the book Psycho by Robert Block. Uh, it was produced by Hitchcock, starring Anthony Perkins, Vera Miles, John Gavin, Martin Balsam, John McIntyre, and Janet Lee. It was released in June 16th, 1960, has a running time of 109 minutes, had a budget of a $806,000 and it did 50 million at the box office. 50 million. That's pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty good back in 1960. It's probably like 10 million now. Yeah, budget budget of 800,000. Yeah, that's so that's pretty good. We'll get into some of that there. Now, Psycho, like I said, made in 1960, produced and directed by Alfred Hitchcock. It's a film adaptation of the 1959 novel of the same name by Robert Block. Uh, the plot centers on an encounter between on-the-run embezzler Marion Crane and a shy motel proprietor Norman Bates and its aftermath in which a private investigator, Marion's lover, and her sister all investigate the cause of her disappearance. Dad, when was the last time you seen Psycho? Fairly recent? Yeah, it's pretty well-known Hitchcock movie. Yeah, it is. I think it's one of his, it's, it's definitely his most popular film as far as Hitchcock goes, we're not going to go too much into the plot because I think a lot of people have seen it. Obviously, Marion Crane, she stole the $40,000 from her boss and she took it to try to start a new life and ended up at the Bates Motel where she met Norman Bates, who ran the hotel with his mother. Or no, the father passed away and then his Norman Bates' mom remarried a gentleman and that gentleman talked her into building this motel and then he mysteriously died of circumstances and then... They were stuck with the hotel and then they rewrote, um, rerouted the road, put in a new highway system, which left nobody coming by the Bates Motel. Like they didn't get anybody for days, sometimes weeks. It's just Norman and his mother out there. What was the hotel and the house on uh, the same time or was the house already there? The house was already there. The, it's a creepy house. It is a creepy house. The gentleman that the, his mom had married talked to her into building the motel, which at the time had a lot of traffic coming by, did very well. And then eventually, like I said, they put in a new highway system and nobody came back by it. Uh, the gentleman passed away, just leaving Norman and his mom out there. Then obviously Marion Crane goes up, comes up missing, which I was surprised. I just watched this movie again recently when we figured out we were, when we discussed talking about it. And I was surprised that she, she dies at like 45, 50 minutes into the movie. I thought she was in it a lot more than that. I, I didn't remember her dying so quick in that half the movie was the people investigating her disappearance. For some reason, I thought that the movie, the climax of it was the, the shower scene, the famous shower scene. Yeah. I thought it was the climax of near the end of the movie. And it no, was the not. climax is when uh, when she walks in there and spins that rocker around and then sees the mom. And then Norman comes in there and chases her. Uh, that was the sister. The sister goes pee pee when they are investigating Marion Crane's disappearance. The yeah. sister goes into the house because she knew that the mom was up at the house and, and then she, Norman fo follows her in there right and spins the chair around and the mom's there all skeletal looking yeah. all skeletal looking and you realize that the mom's dead well well he was so attached to his mom so when she died he kept her there in the rocking chair so he can talk to her right so eventually they investigate and then uh no, I think he first started uh, having birds. He he kept birds in his office. Oh, that's right. He did um, taxidermy as a hobby. Yeah, he did that on the side. And then he for his job, he killed people. Mm. Right. But nobody... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know if that was his job. I don't know if his job was to kill people. He's supposed to be running a hotel, but 
like he had said, taxidermy shouldn't, it should be a hobby, not a way of life, which tells you how far into that he was, he was involved. So I did pull up a few lists of some things that were just facts and a couple things about psycho that maybe people might not be familiar with that. You can let me know if you are familiar with any of these things. Well, I'm, I'm just familiar with the movie. I'm uh, familiar with behind the scenes. Yeah. Here's a few things about it that I thought were intriguing is that when Alfred Hitchcock bought the rights to Psycho from the author, Mr. Block, uh, he bought him for $9,500. Uh, he bought him anonymously. He didn't want anybody to know that it was him purchasing them. And so he bought the rights and then he tried to get the movie made and they refused the production company. But when he tried to get the movie made, the production company wouldn't back it and they blew it off and blew it off and then he was in the stir with one another movie he was working on that ended up causing it to be delayed so he went personally ahead and made this movie since he didn't get the backing from the company and he put up all the money for it to have it made the budget and everything came from him he worked for free in return he got 70 60 70 percent of the box office take from the movie because he put all of his own money into it which became it psycho became his biggest hit up up till and after that that psycho is what he became best known for and it's said that it's also one of the first movies in the slasher genre it's actually the first movie to be considered part of the slasher genre horror films and initially hitchcock wanted the shower scene to be totally quiet he wanted it to be silent but the gentleman who did the scoring for the film that did all the music behind it decided he wanted to score the shower scene anyways. And also oh, he threw in the special effects. He, he threw in the score over the shower scene. And when Alfred Hitchcock heard it, he loved it so much. Not only did he keep the music in the shower scene, he doubled the composer's salary for the movie. He gave him twice, exactly twice the amount that they agreed to because he was that impressed by it. And you mean said, just for that little 30 second you know, no for the for the music for the whole movie oh, for the whole movie i thought you just meant the shower scene no the shower scene hitchcock wanted it to be silent but the guy composed some music over it anyways hitchcock loved that music over it ended up keeping the music there and because he was impressed with the music overall for the movie he doubled the guy's salary he and it's because hitchcock said that the music alone added 33 percent of intensity to the movie for what he was going for. And then also on the first day of production, when the cast and crew showed up, they had to raise their right hands and promised not to divulge one word of the story. Sir Alfred Hitchcock also withheld the ending part of the script from the cast until they had to shoot it. So nobody knew that the whole twist ending where Norman Bates is his mom dressed as his mom. Nobody knew that that was going to happen or that that's how the movie was going to end. And also when Hitchcock bought the rights to the book, he had one of his assistants go around and buy up every copy of the book within 200 miles of where it had taken place because he didn't want people to know how the movie was going to end. Also, there was a disclaimer. It was one of the first movies that came up in the beginning when you'd see it at the theater. It had a disclaimer that if you were late or in the trailer, it said it. If you're late to the movie, the doors are locked and you will not be let in afterwards because Hitchcock was that adamant on trying to create an environment when you're watching the movie and create a mood and a mindset that he didn't want it ruined by people showing up late to the movie. So that it was in writing that if you showed Psycho and you didn't lock the doors right at starting time, he pulled the movie out of the theater. In the movie, if you notice in the beginning, when Marion Crane, before she steals the money, she's in a white bra 
she's it's more angelic and then after she steals the forty thousand dollars you see her in a black bra and it's it's supposed to symbolize that she's darker and it's also one of the first movies that showed a non in the opening scene it's her and her lover sam they were in bed bsing that's when you see her in the white bra and it was one of the first scenes in a movie where an unmarried couple was seen in bed together up to that point it was taboo that you couldn't show a non-married couple seen in a movie also this movie is known for the first time on television or in a movie that you see a toilet flush that's true and because that was against censors censors uh, you couldn't show a toilet flushing and the guy who joseph stefano who did the screenplay really really wanted to see a toilet flush and hitchcock told him the only way you could do it is if you write it in to the script in a way that it, it is essential in that scene and that's the only way it could stay in the film and so when Marion's writing out the 40,000 she took and she's doing her math on an envelope or a piece of paper on how much she still has left, she throws it in the garbage and then she thinks, no, someone's going to find it. So she takes it out of the garbage. She tears up all the numbers and the math and everything on the paper and she throws it in the toilet and flushes it. And that's the first time you see a toilet flush on TV. That's exciting. I didn't know that. Yep. Also, Janet Lee did this movie for... I believe a third of what her going rate for movies were at the time because she wanted to work with Hitchcock. And I think she made somewhere like 18 grand. And I think Anthony Perkins made about 40 grand also because he wanted to be, he wanted to work with Hitchcock because Hitchcock was definitely, he had done a number of movies up to that point. He was already critically acclaimed. So they both took a pay cut. Also, again, they did it because the movie wasn't being financially backed by a studio. It was Hitchcock paying these people, putting his own money up. They did it for the going for that cheap of a rate because it was Hitchcock paying them to do it out of his pocket. And they just wanted the experience of working with them. Hey, was uh, all the actor and actresses uh, the first ones he picked or was there other uh, stand-ins that he you know, that uh, he could have picked besides you know, the players in the movie. Nope. Those are the ones that he wanted to do it. And he, when he asked them to do it and they agreed to do it, and then they realized he's paying them out of his pocket because he expressed that the, they didn't have the financial backing to have the movie made from a studio. So that's why they did it for cheaper. And they did it just for the sake of working with Alfred Hitchcock. Also, he was, he was a well-known director back then. Yep. And just in the shower scene alone, it was 77 different camera angles just in that shower scene and just filming the shower scene alone took a week and a half that's like nine days nine ten days just filming the shower scene and then also anytime you hear norman's mom in the movie when you hear him yelling up at the house or yelling at him from the house the mother's voice is actually four different actresses doing the lines and hitchcock put them all together to create this haunting chilling voice that he he could picture in his mind but no single actor or actress was able to do it. So he took four actresses, had them all record the same parts, and then he layered them over one another to get the mother's voice. And just to keep Janet Leigh on, on her toes and keeping her edgy the whole time filming Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock kept moving the, the dummy of the mom into different places in her, in her dressing room to here on the set over here into the bathroom just to keep her jumping, keep her on edge. Every time she turned around, it was somewhere different. Uh, you, you mean uh, uh, the one who played the mom, you mean it was the real one in her dressing room that was in the movie? Yeah, the dummy? Yeah. Yeah, he just kept moving it all around the set. Just like a lot of Hitchcock's films in this one here, Hitchcock himself made a cameo in the, in the near the beginning of the movie. There's a scene in town where you see a gentleman come out of the general store 
and he has like a big Stetson cowboy hat on. That was Hitchcock. That was the single cameo he did in this movie. He could be seen outside the general store. And another part is the the score, the music in the in the movie cycle. All of the music, all of it, up throughout the whole movie was done with just stringed instruments. It's all just stringed instruments yeah. because it 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 adds intensity. They felt. And Hitchcock used Bosco chocolate syrup instead of blood because it showed up on better on camera for the shower scene and the blood. You know, you've always heard like, oh, it's just Hershey syrup. But yep, it was Bosco chocolate syrup. Also, I thought this was weird is that in the book Psycho, Marion Crane is only in it for about a chapter and a half, two chapters in the whole book. And in this, she was in it for half the movie. They really wanted her to seem like she was the main character as opposed to Norman Bates being the main character. And also Psycho spun off three sequels after that, two television series. And it's still talked about today and far as pop culture goes, is just being one of the most terrifying movies, you know, changed the way people took showers, you know, thought of strangers, got to know strangers, knowing full well that like this person could be a psychopath. It was uh, Psycho out before the Night of the Living Dead. Uh, I think it was after that. I think Psycho came out in 1960. Night of the Living Dead. When was that? I think that was in the 50s. You're talking like the black and white, like they're coming yeah. to get you, Barbara. Yeah, it's. I think that was. And that was the first Walking Dead movie that they had. Oh, you know what? I think Night of the Living Dead came out in 1968. So that would have been after this. This. Oh, was I thought it was out before that. that. No, this was. I thought too. I thought that was like a. I would have thought like 57. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. But nope, that came out after this. And again, this was Hitchcock's most successful movie as far as profits goes. And again, he put up his own money, so he made the majority from the box office take for it. So anything else about Psycho you want to add or anything? Yeah, uh, I was wondering how they did all the uh, the props, you know, like having the house all put together and then having all the stairs and the, and the motel. Because they had like 12 rooms, and I think he put her on one just so he can watch her. Well, I know the house was modeled after a house that Hitchcock had seen in a French painting. He had seen this, a picture of a house that just, when he, he said just by looking at the house, it was terrifying just to look at in the painting. So the house was a house. It was actually built. It yeah. wasn't. Nope. That's a hundred percent. That's a house that is built. And it's still erect today on Universal's lot with the Bates Motel. Both of those set pieces are still intact today and on their back lot at Universal. I didn't know that. That's that's one of my favorite movies. Like I said, by the birds and Psycho. It, it was, uh, in its time, that, that was a real good movie back then. Yep. Still, you know, like I said, causes people to look at showers differently, look at strangers differently, things like that. Oh, you know what, Dad? We've almost forgot to mention. As a side note, uh, Psycho was loosely based on the serial killer Ed Gein. Are you familiar with Ed Gein at all? Yeah, and uh, he um, he was in uh, love with his mother, just like. Norman was with his mom and then, but, uh, Ed, Ed Gein didn't kill his mom. She died of natural causes. Yeah. But he did Skinner. I believe, I think he's cut pieces off of her. Cause Ed Gein was big into making furniture and clothing and just stuff off of people's skin. Ed Gein is also the inspiration for the Texas chainsaw massacre. Yeah. Silence of the lambs, the Anthony Hopkins, like Calacares. You know what I mean? All of that, that was modeled after Ed Gein, Norman Bates, loosely based on Ed Gein. And the Ed Gein murders actually happened about 40 miles from where the author who wrote the original Psycho that Hitchcock bought the rights off of lived about 40 miles. The Ed Gein murders happened from him. Wasn't that in Wisconsin? I believe so. Yeah. Which 
And didn't Jeffrey Dahmer come from Milwaukee? Yeah. All right, Dad, that'll wrap it up, I think, for Psycho. Hopefully you learned something or two about it. Classic American favorite. Yep. So anything else you want to add for this episode, Dad? No, I think that's good for history, mysteries, and movies. And right. and we did, uh, yeah, the Crystal Ball. We did uh, Loch Ness and Psycho. And so I think we did pretty good. All right, good deal. I'd like to take this time to thank Jen and so much energy for giving us the opportunity to bring you so much, Jeff and Iran. Thank you, the listeners and the members, for contributing your suggestions. Again, if you have suggestions, history, mysteries, movies, please write to feelthegenergy at gmail.com. Subject line, Jeff and Iran. All right, Dad, thanks for joining us this week. All right. See you next episode. All right, signing out. Bye. You know much about the crystal ball? Yeah, uh, just <laughs> what? Just from the, the movie. To... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh my god no it's uh, all right i'll see if i can say it i was just gonna say yeah just from the movie the wizard of oz <laughs> the extent of your crystal ball knowledge <laughs> all right i'll see if i can say it <laughs> all right i'll see mm. all right all right let's go <laughs> No, they, uh, you asked me, do I know anything about the crystal yeah, ball? Yeah, you know anything about the crystal ball? Yeah, just from the movie The Wizard of Oz. Mm. <laughs> That's the extent of your crystal ball knowledge. Yeah, so, um, but I guess after this, I'm going to know a little bit more. Yeah, and, and I hope you do too.